0: Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. the role of women in the home. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help and trust that He's going to give it. Father, we thank you for your grace this morning. We thank you for your presence it's clearly here. I thank you for connections during times of testimony of just kind of popcorn connections of somebody speaking, encouraging some way, and then somebody else jumping on and saying, oh, that reminded me of this. And God, I just thank you for how you're working this morning already. Thank you that we've got to hear from you already and sing and respond to you. And I just ask that as I preach your word that you'd help me to be as faithful as I can and that you would be honored and glorified, and all of us in the room would be encouraged. We love you, and we thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. God speaks to women. Let's consider a few things to do a quick refresh this morning as we dive back in this series. God made humanity in His image. He made humanity male and female, and sometimes God speaks to humans. The creation mandate was given to both male and female. And then other times, God speaks to men, and when He is speaking to men, He is not speaking to women. And then sometimes God speaks to women, and when God is speaking to women, God is not speaking to men. And we need to understand just the basic use of language. When God is speaking to a particular person, He's not speaking to another person. If he is speaking to an audience, or if God is speaking through somebody, like at the time of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was leading the Apostle Peter, and he was speaking to everybody that was there in Jerusalem. When God is speaking to men, he's speaking to men. When he's speaking to women, he's speaking to women. When he's speaking to both men and women, he is speaking to both men and women. And we need to be wise. Modern feminism dishonors women by demanding her to close her ears and eyes when God speaks. Christian women don't, don't do that. When God speaks, we ladies open their ears and they open their eyes and they read and they listen to what God has to say to them. God gifts and restricts men from certain things and God gifts and restricts women for and from certain things. The flesh and the enemy of our soul Wants both women and men to despise what God has to say to them. The enemy of our soul and the flesh do not want us to love God's word about gender and sexuality. And ladies, God has some things to say. And I'm sure you've had some questions before based on your theological tradition, church tradition, church you grew up in. Things that you have heard. Things that you have studied yourself. But there are questions. What is a woman's role in the home? And is it okay, and what determines when it's okay for a lady to work outside of the home? Are there any guidelines? Is there any help? And men and women don't need to be so small-minded that we believe the wave of popular opinion in the world over God. Because the wave of popular... Opinion in the world says that if women take the home seriously, they are no longer viewed as world changers or of any significance at all. Because the modern narrative is so diminished, this idea of work at home, everything of significance is out there. And this happens, this happens, it's, it's all over the place. Anything of significance is always out there. It's never where you actually are. And this is true for men as well. The chase for significance, both men and women, is just always out of our grip, or always out of our reach. If we can just get there, finally, we'll be changing the world. And ladies, the lie so often presented is that nothing significant happens in the home. It's for the most small-minded women in the world who just can't do anything else. So that's who gets to stay at home. That's not how God sees it. We do not need to drink the Kool-Aid, the cultural Kool-Aid that's out there. What is the role of women in the home? What is it? Does God have something to say about it? He does. When is it okay for women to work outside of the home? Now today, and over the whole series that we're talking about, what's important for us to understand, and I want to start here and end here this morning, is to understand the three purposes of God's law. The three purposes of God's moral law are as follows. The first purpose of the law is to act as a mirror for us. It acts as a mirror for us, and it exposes us. And our sin. It shows us what perfection is. Here's what we are to be. This is God's law. And it shows us what we are not. And the the whole point of the first purpose of the law is to expose us to have us run to Christ. So we are exposed. Therefore, I can't do this. I need Jesus. And thankfully, we have a Jesus for our need. That's the first purpose of the law. Act as a mirror and to expose. Imperfections, flaws, flaws sin drive us to Christ. The second use of the law, the moral law, is is, is civil use. It is to restrain evil. So God's moral law is not just written on tablets of stone, but it's written into the very fabric of what it means to be human. Across culture, throughout generations, the law of God is put on every human being's heart. And you see this in the fact that every society, from tribal societies to first world societies, every society says things like this. Murder is wrong. Even societies that do not appeal to God's moral standard in the Bible agree that thievery is wrong, murder is wrong, and as one preacher once joked, if somebody says to you, I don't believe in moral right or wrong, just smack them, punch them in the face, steal all their stuff, and see what they have to say about it. Hey, that's not okay. Well, why is it not okay? Because the law of God is put in our hearts and it acts as a restraint. We know from the time that we're born that there are certain things that are right or wrong. Humanity does suppress that truth and says idiotic things like there is no such thing as moral law. And yet it remains woven in the fabric of just what it means to be human. So God's second use of the law is restraint of evil. The third use of the law is specifically for Christians to know how to live our lives from day to day. God's law, when we look in the New Testament, we see love God and love others, or we see some sort of restriction or command, that is not for our justification. We have to understand the difference between the first use of the law and the third use of the law. The third use of the law are for those who know their security is in Christ, who know they are saved by faith alone and Christ alone. Glory be to God alone. They know that The salvation is not by works, it's not by performance, it's because of what Christ has done for me and what Christ has done for me alone, and here comes this third purpose of the law to say, okay, here's now how you live as a Christian, this is how you live. Now all that we've been talking about, about marriage, sexuality, gender, what we are to do and not do, any shoulds or should nots, are in this third purpose of the law. We are swimming in the third purpose of the law, not the first. If you hear the sermon today and hear it as an example of the first purpose of the law, it will crush you, ladies. Just like men, if they hear husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, if you think that through the lenses of the first purpose of the law, it will crush you. We have to understand we're saved by Christ and Christ alone, and then we can start to see, okay, we can start to become, we can obey by God's grace. We can stop disobeying by God's grace, and over a long period of time, we become more and more and more Christ-like. So the third purpose of the law is to say, hey, here's how life works, here's how God created things to work. It is a guide or a map for us for life. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, and we'll be down through verse 5. But we'll start just in verse 1 and 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, notice in these first two verses, notice in these first two verses that there is a specific group being addressed. Young men are not being addressed. Children, boys are not being addressed. Older men are being addressed. That's what it means. Older men. That's a specific group of people being addressed. Not women in this instance, not young men. It's specifically older men. Now, this pattern continues throughout this chapter. We see in verse 3 a switch. Verse 3 older women. So let me just ask who's being addressed in this verse 3? Older women. So, not men. Not children, older women are being addressed. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled." Now in verse 3, we're told that older women are to be reverent, not slanderers, not slaves to too much wine, and they are to teach. Older ladies in the room, and everybody on the scale of life is older than somebody. Every woman in here is older than other women in their life, and they are younger than other women in their life. Now my grandmother just passed away at 97 years old. She was in the category of being older than most of the women in the world. But she was younger than a few of them. There was a lady a couple years ago, drank a Dr. Pepper a day, and she said that was the key to living to 103 years old. Now, I've been told that soda is not good for you, but for this lady, that's the key. So older ladies, you are to teach. Teach. You are to use your mind. This is what God expects of you. He commands you to teach. There isn't an option for ladies to check their brain off when they come in on a Sunday morning gathering. There's not an option for ladies to check their brain off with the things of of God. There is an expectation upon every woman who would be an older woman that you would be a teacher and you are to teach what is good. But here's what I see so often and I see this with both genders, both male and female. I see intellectual vigor given to other things besides theology and even the home. Ladies who use their mind to think deeply about things that either do not matter or matter less than things that matter more. It's almost as if, it's almost as if, Work outside the home gets all the deep, level, critical thinking. But theology and work in the home requires a two-minute devotional and a microwave. Everything else I'm going to give my mind and my energy to, but these things of lesser value. But Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is commanding women, commanding you. you. You've got to be a teacher You've got to use your mind here. There are things that you are commissioned to learn and to grow in. And so you can't check your mind out. You can't just say, well, all that theology stuff in the Bible, and I just it's just way over my head. You don't get that option. You're made in the image of God, for goodness sake. Use your mind. And that's what God is saying. You, you've got a mind. Think deeply. And so what are you to teach? What are the older women to teach? They're to teach what is good, not what is bad, what is good. And they are to train younger women. So older women are training younger women. This is what we got to see with Margaret Samuel. We got to see her faithfully over the years come to a women's Bible study as a lady in her 60s. And I don't know if you know about this, but if you are decades older than a majority of a group, and some of you in this room know this, it can be awkward And if you're in a group and you're younger by several decades than everybody else in the group or a majority of the people in the the group, isn't it awkward? And younger people in our arrogance often say, well, I I just don't, I can't get along with any of them. I don't have anything in common with them. And it's like, hey, you have Jesus in common with them? They're your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Ageism is a two-way street. There's a lot of older people that don't like younger people. There's a lot of younger people that don't like older people. And there's arrogance both ways. They just don't get it. They just don't get it. We see it with different things, like with technology. You know, all those videos that go around about moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that can't text. Okay, and we kind of mock that. Well, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas joke about how stupid we are. Sorry, if Ransom was here, he would say, don't say stupid, Dad. Sorry if that you teach your kids not to say that. Please forgive me. Um, so there's ages in both ways. But the Bible's calling us for something radically different. Older women teach the younger women what is good. Teach them. What does he say? To teach them. Train the women. Here it is. Everything that requires, everything that's followed comes down to this. Here's the number one responsibility in the home, ladies. Here's what older, older women are to teach the younger women who have husbands and children. And this applies even to people who do not have husbands and children. There still should be a loving nature about them. Love your husbands and children. Train them to love their husbands and children. Everything flows from this. Love is a really unique thing. You know, we've we've heard people, and you've heard people say this before, that that love is a, you've heard people say love is a decision, right? You've you've heard that? And I want to push back on that a little bit to say... Love makes decisions. Because when I came to my wife, and bef- before we were married, I, I didn't just decide to have affections for her. I was compelled in. She's really beautiful. And she's got an incredible heart. And she challenged me, and she was a godly young woman. And somehow God made her like me. And that's a key factor, by the way, in that um, you have to like each other. She, she was incredible. I was compelled. I was drawn in. And because of that, there were decisions that were made, that followed. And there are decisions that were externalized. Love is more than a decision, but love requires decisions to be made. And so I was compelled to love her, but I didn't just simply decide one day, okay, I'm going to start having affections for Jordan Vaughn. I had the, I couldn't, it's just, I had them. And then decisions followed. I tell you what, it wouldn't have been that great of a, a love story if I said, you know what, I kind of, I ran down the list and I wanted a girl that was pretty. I wanted a girl that loved the Lord and I had this list. And I really didn't have any affections for her, but I really just decided she's the one for me. And I went to her and I said, you know, honey, I've got all this list, and, or, or Jordan, I got all this list, and you just, I'm going to just start liking you now. And I'm going to decide just to love you. She'd be like, uh, no thanks. Because love is so much more than a decision, but then love makes decisions. It's not just a feeling, but feelings certainly are involved. If you say you love somebody and don't have any feelings for them, there's something profoundly wrong. And so here the commission is, love your husbands and children. I was compelled, so over a long period of time, here's the deal though. Over a long period of time in marriage, and and maybe you can experience this before, it's easy to coast where the dates become less and less and less romantic. You know, it, this is common. Ladies like, honey, why don't you take me out to eat? Why don't you take me on a date? And we're like, baby, we had pizza and we watched Netflix last night. You know, like, what are you talking about? We had a date. And what she is referring to so often, and sometimes this, is, this isn't always one-to-one. Sometimes the guy's like, you know, we need to go on a date more often. But so often what she's talking about is actually take her out. Like, write her a love note, give her an invitation, and take her out to eat. I'm not all that creative. If you've got ideas, men, tell me, and I'll gladly steal your ideas. But here's the deal. Love needs to be externalized. So often, coasting can become the norm. But what older women are to teach the younger women, because this happens both ways with both men and women, Is, ladies, we need to teach, you need to teach younger women how to externalize love for their husbands over the long period of time. Do we as men and you as women externalize the kind of love that you want to receive, or do you externalize the kind of love that your husband wants to receive? It's easy to give the kind of love you want to be given. It's harder to explore what does she want, or if you're a lady, what does he want? How does he receive love? And for me, I'm a little bit easy. It's like you know, if Jordan just gives me, you know, Doritos, um, and bee cereal, honey nut cereals, I'm just surprises me with that. I'm like, baby, I, I love you, you know. Mm. Um, but ladies, here's a question for you: Do your actions and words reveal that you tolerate your husband and children? Or that you love your husbands. Your husband, singular, and children. Ladies, do your actions and words, what is externalized in your life. And just do an honest eval. And remember, we're in the third purpose of the law here. This is not to bring condemnation. By your actions and by your words, does it reveal that you tolerate your husband and children or that you love your husband and children? If you love your husband and children, it should be externalized. If what is externalized is exhaustion, annoyance, anger, frustration? Then hear me with hopefully the most grace filled words I can possibly say to you. Then repentance is needed. And you need to seek some wisdom from some older women who can teach you how to love, to externalize love and care for your husband and your children. Older women are to teach the younger women how to externalize that love. That's your biggest role in your home is to be a person of love. Love your husband and your children. And it's going to require training. It's going to require work. It is not easy. And lesser women are confident in their exhaustion and their anger and confident that it's just all the husband's fault. And so there's a condition made of why she doesn't have to love, externalize love for her husband or for her children. If they would just act better and be nicer, then they would earn love. But that's not what the Bible says. You're just called simply to love your husbands and children. That's your biggest responsibility and role in the home. Now, let's just, let me just think about this. Isn't that, it sounds so simple, but how profound is that? What if you took that seriously, ladies, and you said, this week, what's it look like for me by God's grace, to just simply love Him and love my kids. And to not just be exhausted and angry this week. And I'm not saying that all of you are exhausted and angry every week. Okay, I'm not saying that. But what it look like for you to just practically love Him and love them? There's a switch in verse 5. The older women, not only are to teach them to love their husbands and children, but to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. To be self-controlled, self-controlled. Ladies, love requires self-control. And, and we're going to talk emotions just for a minute, and it might get weird for a minute, but we're going there. There are some emotional men and stoic women, to be sure. There are some emotional men and stoic women, for sure. But remember, exceptions exceptions do not cause us to throw out common sense. Exceptions don't make the rules, at least they shouldn't. Women have hormone levels that are different than men. Women have periods, men do not. Sorry, world, because our world at this point says that some men are not all, anyways, weird things, saying that men can have periods and stuff, just weird, crazy stuff. Ladies cry more than men. Again, there's exceptions, I get that. But there are emotional levels that are different. Ladies, in general, are more emotional than men, and that is simply a fact. It's, it's, and if, you, if something rises up inside of you, and like, oh my gosh, blah, blah, proves my point. There are emotional levels that are different, and ladies, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got to fight to not be controlled by your emotions. You have to fight to be self-controlled, and it is a battle. To be a woman is to be called, and men are called to be self-controlled as well, but it's a different kind of self-control. Ladies, if you're going to love your husbands and your children, it's going to require self-control, and it's going to be hard. There's going to be anger that rises up inside of you. You're just going to clean the toilet this time. How's it get everywhere? I don't know, baby. I'm really sorry, but I am going to clean it. I don't want to make it harder for you. It's going to require self-control. And you're going to have to reject your emotions. Those are lies. You're going to have to fight to do that. And some of you, it's going to be harder than for others. And some of you, there are clinical reasons of why emotions can be harder than others. But emotions lie to you. They will lie to you. And they will make you think wrong and even sinful things. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you got to fight it. you got to fight it. If you want to live a life of a lot of wake of damage. Just live by your emotions the rest of your life and you will crush everybody around you. Working from home. Working from home. Self-controlled, pure. Pure has to do with things like modesty and innocence. You want to fight to have an inno- be innocent of evil and think much of what is good. Ladies, train younger women how to be modest. Ladies, you should be dressing modestly, not with things hanging out, and just cover yourselves. You don't have to be completely covered for goodness sake, and men are responsible for their sinful thoughts, but ladies are to be pure Working from home. Ladies, you are called to be a homemaker. That's what the word in the Greek means, and some translations say homemaker in it as well. Ladies, your primary call and role as a wife and mother is to love your husbands and children, but also to be a homemaker. Your primary call is to be at home. Not your exclusive, we'll get to that in Proverbs 31, but your primary, primary role is to be a homemaker. It's not wrong for your husband to cook, but it's wrong for you to never cook. Let me say that these are things that don't fly in our world. It just doesn't fly. It's not wrong for your husband to cook, but it is wrong for you to never cook. Your call is at home. It's not wrong for your husband to clean. He should. He should be. I said a couple weeks ago, men, if we are making, what if your wife came to your primary area of work and made your work harder all day long? And as I was typing out a sermon, she just came and hit delete over and over and over again. When we're filthy and dirty and disgusting, and when we don't help, when we just get in the way of her primary call, what God has said, hey, listen, you are to be a homemaker, it's as if she's coming to your work and just messing you all up. What are you doing? Why do you make her work harder? I'm saying this to myself. It's not wrong for the husband to clean, but it is wrong for you to never clean. That's wrong. That's not being obedient to being a homemaker. The house, making amazing, amazing food. If you say, well, I don't know how to cook. Well, you can learn. Learn. Learn how to cook. Like, that, that isn't saying wives should be barefoot and in the kitchen all the time. That's not, that's not being demeaning in any way. But, ladies, there is a world of wonder to discover with recipes and And taking seriously your God-given responsibility. You may never be a really, really great cook, but you can be better than you are right now. Making the home peaceful, cleaning, making amazing food, being hospitable. Walking into your home and thinking, the kingdom of God is here. God's presence is here. Because a faithful woman is taking responsibility in her home. That's your primary God-given responsibility. That's your task. And remember, it requires mental energy. It requires studying. It is not brainless. You're going to have to give the best of yourself to those sort of things. And here's the thing you don't get to say. No woman in the world gets to say this. No woman gets to say this. I don't like that. It's not my thing. It just doesn't fulfill me. It's as arrogant as if a man was to say, It doesn't fulfill me to love you, honey, as Christ loves the church, so I'm going to not do it. God is giving you the dignity of saying these sorts of things. Like, this is God. Again, it's not exclusive. We're not saying here that it's wrong to work out the home. We're going to see that here in just a second, again. But you don't get to say, well, that's just not my thing. I don't like that. And here's the, the world out there is going to tell you, close your ears. God's holding back on you because nothing significant happens in the home. Tell that to Timothy's mother, Lois, and his grandmother, Eunice, or his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, who took their responsibility of teaching their children seriously. Or St. Augustine's mother, who prayed day in and day out that her son would become a Christian, and he changed, by the grace of God, literally all of the Western Hemisphere. A praying mother, the power of a praying mother. Every woman... And wife is a homemaker without exception. You're just either a sinful one or a God-honoring one. There's no exceptions. That does not mean, as stated twice already, that a woman cannot work outside of the home. But if your work outside of the home means that you cannot do inside work properly, then the job, this job outside of the home is actually, and I know that there are seasons. Financially as a family, there are seasons. But if we set the trajectories of our families, and if we get in such financial difficulty, men, I'm telling you, we can actually require our wives to walk in sin. And ladies, if you cannot take your first primary responsibility and do that well, and if work outside of the home pulls from your work inside of the home, and I know there are different seasons in life when kids are young and when kids are old, and all of those factors that have to be considered. But if your house is continually neglected, but your work and all your energy and vigor goes there, that is sin. So what does the balance look like? First, we want to finish this chapter Finish in Titus chapter 2. Urge them to be working from home, kind. So in other words, this is going to have to be, tr- these are training still. Tr- kindness is, is not just natural in us. And if you're going to live in a house, you're going to have to be trained to be kind. Okay, here's a way to be kind. Because natural default, so often even in marriage or even in close relationships, is to think the worst about each other. you got to be reminded we're for each other here. We're not against each other. That's the enemy in the flesh. That's where we're for each other here. I'm not out to get you and I don't want to fight. So training to be kind, submissive to their own husbands, not to submissive to men, submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Here's the deal. To reject submission in the home, to reject all these things that God is saying, somehow or another, it equates to the word of God being reviled. And the age old temptation of women remains. It's been all the same throughout the generation, throughout culture to culture. God really is holding back on me. I think I can do better for myself. I don't like what he has to say to me. Since Eden, women have not liked what God has had to say to them naturally. I don't like that. Submission, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but submission to your husband, it models Christ and the church. The church submits to Christ. And the husband is to be the incarnate incarnated Christ in the home. He is to love her as Christ loved the church. And the wife is to be submissive to her husband. That doesn't mean submit when the husband wants her or asks her to sin. The husband should never do that. But she is to submit as Christ submitted to his heavenly father. This is powerful submission. You know, practically it looks like this. You're you're talking, maybe there's disagreements in the home, or maybe there's strengths and weaknesses in the home, but here's often what should happen. Wives, Think the best of your husband. Husbands, love your family and want to lead them in such a way and serve them in such a way that they don't doubt your care and your desire for for them to have the best. Wives, fight to believe that your husband wants and desires what's best for your family. And there's just going to be some decisions sometimes where the husband is just going to have to say, as you guys pray and wrestle through it, this is the best decision. And you may not agree with it. And to submit as the church submits to Christ, it's going to require you. God requires you to say, okay, I don't understand. Don't say I told you so if it turns out wrong. The whole point is not to win in an argument, but God requires you to submit to your husband. And that's not bad, that's good. But then as we move through this, so the word of God may not be reviled, taking these things seriously, older women training younger women to do these things, is that the, the word of God is not reviled. And guys and ladies in here, I know none of us want the word of God to be reviled. So these things are to be taken seriously. But now we need some sort of grid, because our default should not simply be, well, in the world today, it's normal, and ladies obviously work outside of the home today, so we should just accept that, and that's normal. We should be asking, does the scripture say that it's okay? For ladies to work outside of the home? That's the first thing. And if it does, then it's more than okay that ladies work outside of the home. But there's got to be some grid here, not just what's pragmatically helpful in our family or what's going to give us the most finances and the most flexibility and time. And can we share these responsibilities? No, men have his, men have their responsibilities. Ladies, you have your responsibilities, and so we need some sort of grid, some sort of guideline to know when, when is it appropriate when is it inappropriate to do this. So turn to Proverbs 31, and we're going to walk through this pretty quickly, but this is going to provide for us a, a kind of like a map of how this is supposed to happen. It's a guide for women to make sure their priorities are in order. Now, here's how Proverbs 31 works. In chapter, chapter 31, starting in verse 10, down to verse 24, and then after 24, all the things that are going on happen in the context of a woman taking the home seriously. Let's just read 10 down through 23, or down through 22, down through 23 together. An excellent wife who can find... She's more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's still night, provides food for her household, portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hand, hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, and for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. She Her clothing is fine, and linen and purple. Her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of The land. Let's go through this. Verse 10 through 12. An excellent wife is more precious than jewels. An excellent wife is more precious than jewels. This woman, the Proverbs 31 woman, is the type of woman who is a trustworthy woman. The heart of a wife like this. Of the husband. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He trusts. My wife is a wise woman. If she wants to buy a field, I trust her in that. If she needs that, she's she's not going to make foolish decisions. My wife, I trust in her. She is a trustworthy woman. Why is she so respectable? The good wife, this woman, is so respectable that she deserves praise at the gates. Her kids later on are going to praise her and call her blessed. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Why is this woman so praiseworthy? Well, let's look at it in verse 13 to 23. Number one in verse 13, we see she seeks wool and flax and she brings food from afar. Now, this is not just so it's like not just the same food every day. She's like the merchant ships who bring in food from different places and cultures. She does this. She explores new recipes. She's making food for her household. Look at verse 15. She rises up when it's still night and provides for her household. She's getting up early after collecting all these recipes, after collecting all this food, after making, getting and gathering all this wool and flax, and she puts her hand to the mill. Plow, whatever the statement is. She's working hard. She's up early in the morning, working hard, preparing, preparing food for her household. That's what she's doing. Notice the aim of her efforts, the aim of her work is in the home. In verse 16, we see that she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. What in the world is this talking about? Well, to care for her household, she went out seeking wool and flax. She didn't have enough room to make or create or to keep the livestock here to do her work efficiently in the home. She needs more land. And we see what she does with this land is she plants a vineyard. She uses it, the fruit of her hands. She goes to work and plants a vineyard in the field that she buys. Now, to take care of her her, her household, she needs this land. So she buys the land. Now, men, here's the deal. Our wives need the liberty. It shouldn't be our money, your money. It shouldn't be a permission thing or thing like that in the home. You should so trust your wife that if she needs something to take care of your family, of the family, she should, because she is trustworthy and not going to make a foolish financial decision, you should trust her. What does she need? Does she need a KitchenAid mixer because those mixers simply break down all the time? Well, she should, without question... Be able to go out, she's a big girl enough to be able to look at the finances and the checkbook and to see, is this within our budget? She, shouldn't, she should go buy it. Whatever she needs to take care of the home, she has the ability to make those decisions. So she should be able to say, I'm going to buy this because it's needed. And you shouldn't say, really? Now, ladies, if you're going out and making foolish decisions, it's not an excuse to just go out and buy whatever you want to buy. But this woman, it was calculated. She considered it. I need that field because I need to plant a vineyard to better take care of my family. And she literally went out and bought a field and started planting a vineyard. Taking care of her home, planting this. Her arms are getting strong because of the work that she's putting in. Ladies, you are called to work. Verse 17, we see that she's a strong woman. Dresses herself with strength. Makes her arms strong. And now it's interesting because she sees in verse 18 that she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp doesn't go out at night. You know what that means? She sees, you know what, people would want this. What I'm doing for my family here, I could make money with this. This, is, this would be really profitable. I, I'm, and so she's working up late at night creating a product that could be sold outside of the home. And we see in verse 24 she does this. She's looking at this, and this is a principle. It doesn't mean that you all have to go out and start making dresses and clothes and things like that. But from her work at home, she discovered this is profitable. I I can do something here that can contribute outside of our home as well as contribute inside of our home. And people would look at it and want to buy it. This is the skill that she has. So, in verse 19, does she immediately go and start the career and leave home? Does she start building that career and make it big and seek to make it big in Jerusalem? Well, no, not yet. Even though she perceives this would be profitable and beneficial outside of the home, she pauses because that thing doesn't have her heart. Her identity is not tied into the praise of people outside of her home, she's not itching for eyes. She rightly sees if she wants to be an earth shaker and a world changer, she needs to take the home seriously. You have non-believers in your midst, ladies. Many of you spend countless hours with them. She took the home seriously. I see this. I remember when I first preached through this years ago, I was thinking, my goodness, my Jordan's a lot like this. Like, she's this, and she's actually like, even though the principle applies to make beyond making things, my goodness, my wife is so much like this. And I read this and think, man, God, thank you so much. But ladies, you see this, and so often, what you're good at, you think, has to be given away outside of the home, because it's just wasted if it's given to people inside of the home. And that's not the Proverbs 31 woman. She saw it's profitable, but sat on it. She worked hard, not yet. There would become a time, but not yet. The praise of people and the eyes and the attention of people outside of the home did not have her heart. Notice what did have her heart in verse 20. Not only her family, but the poor. In verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out, with, out her hands to the needy. She cared about those who were less privileged or those who were poor or those who were needy. She wanted to help anybody she could help. This is more precious than jewels. Ladies, you're gonna bump into neighbors or friends or people in the street. If you got young kids, when you bring them to school or wherever it is that you're doing, or if you're teaching them, or if it's a co-op or if it's a, a library, I'm just wherever moms and kids go at the splash park and all that, there are gonna be people there. And is your eyes, are your eyes open to those who are needy? The Proverbs 31 woman's eyes certainly were. In verse 23 or 21, she's not scared of the snow. Why? Because for her whole household, she's made clothes, and they're clothed in scarlet. She's not scared of the wintertime. She's not scared of the snow because her kids and her husband are taken care of. She's worked hard. She doesn't just have to go to the department store and buy a jacket. She had to actually work to make the clothes for her husband and for her children. And she's not scared of the winter. Bring it on. My family's going to be okay. At least that's how I imagine she said it. And in verse 23, we see that her husband is known at the gates. Her husband sits at the gates. He's known at the gates. And now we see in verse 24 uh, that she becomes a businesswoman. She is observed. She sat on it. She's known. We don't know how long, but she's known that the things that she does in the home would be profitable outside of the home. And in verse 24, it says this. She makes linen garments and sells them. And she delivers sashes to the merchant. This woman was a savvy businesswoman outside of the home. She's known it for a a while. My garments, they would sell like hotcakes. I know they would. She's known it. She sat on it. She's looked on eBay and made an eBay account or whatever you sell things on. She knows, and she's just been sitting on it. There's going to come a time, I know these are going to sell like hotcakes, and I'm going to keep making them, I'm going to keep making them, and then I'm going to sell them like crazy. That's what She does. She has a delivery service. She has to deliver sashes to the merchant because the merchant apparently is going to bring them out. She's not just doing a local thing. She's so worked and thought through this business plan, but she's connected to a merchant who would take it out on merchant ships and they would go out. She is thinking in a business-like way. She is using her mind. Strong and dignified. It's a crucial, crucial principle that we see in verse 18 and 24. We see that even though she had all these abilities, even though she had all these competencies, even though her work was desired not just outside of her city, but had to be delivered to merchant ships, even though the demand would have been there earlier, her priority was at the home until the right time. Until the right time. There's an order of priority with the Proverbs 31 woman. The priority is the home and family. And then at the right time, she becomes the businesswoman. And it's pretty remarkable. Now, for different people and different families, the practicalities of all this is going to work out different. But this is what we do know. That the work outside of the home from this incredible Proverbs 31 woman was remarkable. And highly competent women, this highly competent woman, did not see work in the home as somehow less than than her dignified work outside of the home. Hear me say that. This Proverbs 31 woman did not see the work outside of the home as more dignified than the work inside of the home. Feminist rage. Telling you the modern narrative rages. If you want dignifying work with your hands, ladies, you got to get outside of the home. That's what the world says to you. The home doesn't matter. Well, to this iconic woman in Proverbs 31, it did. And God himself tells you it does. And so often I see this with men and pastors all the time. Pastors abandoning their family because they're in love with the church. And I see pastors who are out of angelizing and discipling and all of that, and their kids are crying because they're not around. And I see this also with ladies. Ladies, your heart can be so attached to fame or so attached to significance out there, that you're willing for your family to suffer to go and chase it. Fortunately, we have a church full of godly women. But ladies, that idol in your heart, you probably feel it. I wish I was doing something actually significant as you're wiping your kid's butt. I wish I was doing something that actually mattered. Because right now, I feel like I'm pulling, I I would rather pull my hair out than having another conversation or to correct or spank my son or daughter again because they're on the floor crying and screaming. And the lie of the enemy and the lie of the flesh is everything out there that's where real significance happens. But not according to God's word. The result of this in verse 25 and through 31 is that honor comes to this woman. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well into all the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have excelled, done excellently, but honey, you surpassed them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is in vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands. And let her praise be praised. Let her works be praised at the gates. This woman is a woman who knows how to laugh at the times to come. Sometimes the greatest medicine you can have to a difficult situation is to simply laugh. Is to simply laugh. Can you believe this is happening? There's puke everywhere, tears flowing, you haven't slept. And the best medicine you can possibly have is just to simply laugh. This woman knew how to do it. She didn't take herself too seriously, even though she was a serious woman. In verse 26, wisdom is hers. She teaches kindness. In verse 27, she's looking at the ways of her household still, even as she was a businesswoman, as she was working hard in the field, she still cares about her family. She's not abandoned her primary task. She's still, in verse 27, looking to the ways of her household and not eating the bread of idleness. Her husband, recognize. Her children, take note. And there will be a time, ladies, if you take the home seriously, there will be a time when those punky kids of yours come back and say, Mom, thank you. Thank you for taking me seriously. Thank you for pouring into me. Thank you for loving me. I'm sorry I was so terrible. Thank you for investing in me. Thank you for teaching me, for telling me about Christ. Thank you for weeping for me. Thank you that I heard you in the doorway that one day when you went and shut the door and you couldn't be around us anymore. And I heard you weeping, crying out, God, give me strength. I need strength. Please help me right now. I can't do this anymore. And I heard you crying out to God and I went in, Mom, and I prayed for you. And I went in and prayed for you that God, you give them strength. And I remember thinking, I gotta be nicer to her. I, I gotta be nice. She's gonna kill me. There will be a time. And we see here, Her children rise up and they call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Men, if you're not in the habit of praising your wife, you should be. Honey, I see. I see the sacrifices you're making. I see how strong and competent. I see how smart. I see how beautiful you are, not just externally, but internally. If you're not speaking like that to your wife, you should be, and so should I. This is not a daily practice that I'm just hitting the ball out of the park here. This is something I'm growing in. Now, if you remember, it's interesting that the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. She is to be praised by everyone, but she's also to be praised at the gates. In verse 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works be praised at the gates. Well, who's at the gates? Well, in verse 23, we find out that the husband, we found out the husband was at the gates. The husband isn't with the boys at work talking about his old lady. The husband isn't complaining about his wife, about how, how negative or how difficult a season it is or how mean she is or something like that. He's not finding, as other people are ragging on their wives too, reasons that they can talk trash about their wives. He honors his wife among his peers. I will not speak an ill word about my wife. And nobody will pull me into it. That should be our posture. She has praise from my lips all the days of my life. I will speak well of her and not bad of her. At the gates, at your work, wherever you are, men, the men there should know how much you love your wife. No ill words should ever come out of our mouths about her, ever. We are to honor her, honor, respect, love, and cherish her. Now let's end where we started. There is a false gospel about this sermon. And ladies, you're susceptible as anybody else is to hearing a false gospel. The Proverbs 31 way and the Titus 2 way is not the way toward justification. It's not for your salvation here. We're not talking about ladies, be like the Proverbs 31 lady and be like the Titus 2 women or else you're doomed. That's the first purpose of the law, to show you, to show you you can't do this. You need Jesus He's the one who took everything seriously. He is the one who lived perfectly in your place. You're going to fall short. If you look at this as a mirror and you're going to say, "Oh my gosh, I fall short." Well, of course. You're not the Titus 2 woman. You're not the Proverbs 31 woman. We're all in the process of becoming. And if you hear it that way, you will it will crush. The good news is not do this and live. The gospel is Jesus lived perfectly. Jesus obeyed. Jesus had his priorities in line. Jesus did not buy the lies of the world. He did it on our behalf. He did it for Christian women who scoff at Proverbs 31. He did it for Christian women who still hear God speak to them and think, you're holding back on me, you're holding back on me, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it. And Christian women abound who do not like the word of God to them. By God's grace, don't be like that, ladies. He did it for Christian women who have the audacity to believe that God is saying, hmm, I just want to rob your joy. And I I just don't ever want you to have any life outside of this home. He wants ladies to hear that. The enemy does. He did this. Jesus did it for Christian women who believe they know better than God. He did it for Christian women who love Proverbs 31 and want to obey it. He did it for Christian women who love Titus chapter 2 and want to obey it. Therefore, ladies hear me, without fear, become whom God is calling you to be in the home. Take the home seriously. If you want to make a splash in this world, If you want to live an epic tale, if you want to hit a home run, if you want to be remembered, take the square footage where you live seriously. And you will be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Take what I imperfectly preached and perfectly apply it. God, I thank you for a group of women who do love your word. And Lord, I ask that you would further the homemaking of these women and further the business abilities, the abilities that you've given them. I pray that you'd fan both of those competencies to flame in the right order and at the right time and help them to thrive. If there's repentance needed, I pray that they would repent. Not because they feel condemnation, but because they're convicted. Yeah, there's some areas I can grow here. Holy Spirit, I trust that you're going to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.